You may have heard the story of a young man who was serving in the military overseas, and he uh, was in a foxhole, in a trench, because there were uh, bullets flying overhead, mortar shells going off, and so he was down in this foxhole. And he was a little concerned because the foxhole just didn't seem to be quite deep enough for, given what all was going on. So he decided to pull out his shovel and just dig it a little deeper so maybe he could get a, get a lower, get his head down a little farther. And while he's digging, he hits something metal. And he's like, I wonder what this is. And he digs a little farther and he, he pulls it out and it's a silver cross, a crucifix that was buried in the dirt there. And he, and he pulls it out and about that same time, Another guy jumps into the, the ditch with him. And so they kind of introduce each other, and the other guy tells him that he's a chaplain in the military. He said, a chaplain? Oh, that's great. He said, I, I dug up this cross, this crucifix, and I just wondered, could you tell me how this thing works? <laughs> he, he had this cross, and he was in this situation, and he, he just wanted to know, hey, what's the story behind this? How does this thing work? This morning, we're going to be looking at if you're a note taker, the, the, the sermon is titled, uh, Another Cross Reference. We're going to see in this text this morning that Jesus is going to be talking again about the cross. In John chapter 12, we see it's starting to, to heat up now. He's in the last week uh, before his crucifixion and resurrection, and he's going to be talking about the cross. He's talked about the cross before. And most everybody that he was talking to it about were clueless what was going on. But we're going to see him start to come around a little bit more in our text today. So John chapter 12, starting with verse 27, Jesus says, Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it, and we'll glorify it again. Let's pray this morning. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to open up your word as we have it in front of us, as you have provided your word to us, Lord. That's not true in all parts of the world, but we have the privilege of having a copy of your word in our hands. And Lord, we desire to learn more uh, about you and about what you have for us. And Lord, in this particular case this morning, Lord, learning more about the life of Jesus Christ as he moves toward the cross uh, for the purpose of saving the world from their sins, uh, Lord, and you call us uh, to believe. And so, Lord, we ask that you uh, just impress your truth upon our hearts, Lord. Speak to us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So Jesus says, Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I came to this hour. So we know from our text that in just a few days, Jesus would face the cross, and, and He knew what that entailed. He knew that He was going to be facing suffering and death, and He knew it, and His humanity responded to that. His, his soul was troubled, not because He was questioning the Father's will, but because He was fully aware of all that the cross involved. We notice in this text that Jesus did not say, what shall I do? He said, what? what? What shall I say? So think of verse 27 as a statement to those who were with him. He's saying, right now, knowing what lies before me, 
death on the cross, it does cause my soul to be troubled. So what shall I say? Father, save me from this? No. This is the very reason I came in the first place. He knew very well what the Father's will was, and he was focused upon that and was going to see it through. This is the will of the Father. This is why I am here at this time and at this place. We probably remember it in the garden at the time of his arrest, Peter, good old Peter, bless his heart, Peter, the guy, the apostle with the foot-shaped mouth, right? Constantly sticking his foot in his mouth, constantly doing things. Out of zeal, you have to appreciate Peter and who he was and his personality. But Peter pulls out his sword and cuts off the ear of the servant of the high priest. Which is somewhat humorous if you think about it because he was probably trying to cut off his head and all he got was his ear. So Peter's not someone that we would consider to be well, you know, real good with a sword, right? He just cuts off the ear. What did Jesus say? He said to him in Matthew 26, 53, do you think that I cannot now pray to my father and he will provide me with more than 12 legions of angels? Could Christ have been delivered from this situation? Could he have called upon the Father so that he would not have to go through this? Yeah, I believe he could have, but he wasn't going to because he was going to stay obedient to the will of the Father, and this was the will of the Father. He knew the Father's will. Verse 27 here in our text is not a statement of indecision, but rather a rhetorical question with a matter-of-fact answer. This is why I am here. This is my purpose, he is saying. And then he prays, Father, glorify your name. So for us here this morning, when we're in the middle of a trial, a time of trouble, what's our tendency to pray for? How do we pray in that situation? Typically, we're praying, Father, save me from this hour, aren't we? We're looking for a way out. We want God to remove this situation from us. Lord, get me out of this. But what should our prayer be? If we're being in complete submission to the Father, our prayer should be, Father, glorify your name. Glorify your name, Lord. No matter what happens, no matter what takes place, you be glorified in this thing, Lord. Regardless of what I think or what's going on, Lord, you be glorified in it. No matter what happens, no matter how I feel, no matter what I'm going through, no matter how overwhelming the situation is, Lord, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know how it's going to turn out. But Lord, glorify Your name in this situation. It's submission to His will. We can see that in the life of Jesus, right? Look what He was facing. We, we can't even imagine. We really can't imagine what lay before Him. And so... Whatever situation we're going through, if we look to Jesus and we recognize what He was about to go through, what we've got going on kind of pales in comparison, doesn't it? Most of the problems and the situations that arise in our lives, I don't want to say they're not a big deal, but in comparison to what He went through for us, kind of a small thing. But Lord, glorify Your name in this situation. It's submission to God's will. If you or I are in a situation and we're asking, Lord, what's your will in this? How many times have we done that? Lord, I just want to know what your will is. Bottom line, 
set everything else aside, His will is that He would be glorified. Amen? No matter how you look at it, that's what it comes down to, that He would be glorified in that situation. We're looking for an answer in it. He just wants obedience in it, doesn't He? In the middle of it, He wants us to be trusting Him, looking to Him, so that we can glorify Him in whatever the result, whatever, however it turns out, right? We can look back and glorify Him. We can look forward in glorifying, uh, to glorify Him. But we, in the middle of it, we need to be in a place where we can glorify Him. That's, that's real trust. That's real faith, isn't it? So the answer is easy. He wants to be glorified. The question shouldn't be, Lord, what is Your will? It should be, Lord, in this thing, how can I glorify You? Because glorifying Him is His will. We get hung up on that, don't we? Constantly. Man, I, I, Lord, I just don't know what Your will is in this situation. I want to know what Your will is. Well, His will is very simple. He wants to be glorified in it. And that can only happen when we're submissive to Him and His leading and what He wants to accomplish in us and through us. So our prayer should be, Lord, in this situation, in this circumstance, how can I glorify You? How do I do that? I want to do whatever will glorify your name. We have the ultimate example of that in what Jesus does. He says in verse 28, Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and I will glorify it again. So this is, as we've gone through our text in John, but also as we've referenced the other Gospels, this is the third time that we see the voice of, of, of God, the voice of the Father, coming from heaven on behalf of the Son. At Jesus' baptism, at the beginning of His ministry, in Matthew, 13, or Matthew 3, verse 13. Uh, hold your place in John and turn over to that real quick, if you would, this morning. Matthew chapter 3. Just three Gospels back to the left, towards the Old Testament there. Matthew chapter 3. Verse 13. It says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you're coming to me. But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased." This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Why was the Father well pleased with the Son? Because the Son was glorifying the Father. Amen? He was being obedient to what the Father had instructed Him to do, and was guiding Him to do. Then flip over to Matthew chapter 17. We have another account of this. Matthew chapter 17, verse 1, on the Mount of Transfiguration. Starting with verse 1 in chapter 17, Now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, led them up on a high mountain by themselves, 
and he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. Just a side note, isn't it interesting that you see that it's Moses and Elijah? Because what do we know about Moses? Because Moses struck the rock to bring forth water out of anger and misrepresented God, he was not allowed to go to the promised land, was he? We know that from our study in the Old Testament. But here he is. God still snuck him in, didn't he? <laughs> he got him into the promised land. Why? Because God can do that. It's entirely up to him what he wants to do. And so he did that. So we have Moses and Elijah appearing to them, talking with him. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be there. Be here. If you wish, let us make here three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And you can almost see Peter's mouth, again, starting to start take shape of that foot that he's putting in his mouth. Uh, While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear Him. So we see kind of the same thing. God's saying the same thing again, right? This is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. But something else there, what? Hear Him. Hear what He has to say. Pay attention to what He has to say. Learn from Him and what He has to say. Yes, it was for the apostles, but it's here for us in God's Word, stretching clear into today. Hear the words of Jesus. Learn what He has to say. Learn from these things. I have many things that I will instruct you with. We've looked at all these things as we've gone through the Gospel of John. The instruction that Jesus has given all of us through His Word. Hear Him. Learn from Him. That's what God is saying. And now here at the end of His ministry in John 12, 28, if you want to flick Flip back over there. We see in John 28 that the Father says, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. So we have in these texts the Son glorifying the Father and the Father glorifying the Son. Once again, as we've talked about this before many times, the Father and the Son working in perfect harmony together. The Father and the Son together as one because they are one. Jesus prays, Father, glorify your name. And the Father responds, I have glorified it. From the time of the miraculous birth of Jesus, throughout His whole ministry thus far that we've seen through the Gospel of John, the Father has been glorified in His Son and through His Son. Time and time again, through His teachings, His healings, His miracles, All of Jesus' ministry, the Father has glorified His name. Now God the Father is saying to to His Son, I will glorify it again. Because there's still work to be done, isn't there? It's not finished. There will be more teaching, probably more healing, but there is still the finished work yet to be done. The finished work, what is that? The finished work in the death and resurrection of the Son, which is just a short time away. We looked at several times through the Gospels where Jesus was in a situation and He said, my time has not yet come. Uh, His mother Mary came to Him at the wedding in Cana. They're out of wine. We need more wine. And He says, "Uh, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour, my time has not yet come. There were times when He was going to be arrested that they're going to take him away, lay hands on him. Never happened. Why? 
the text tells us, because his time had not yet come. Last week we looked at this, and we see Jesus saying, if you flip back over to uh, verse 23, the hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. It's time. The hour has come. Everything that the Father has put together for the plan of salvation for the world is coming together in this week that's coming up. The hour has come. The time has come. The work's not done. There's still something to be finished. And that's what's going to be taking place. It's just a short time away. So verse 29 in our text, John chapter 12, Therefore the people who stood by and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said an angel has spoken to him. So God speaks. Some think it's an angel. Others believe that it thundered. They heard something. They just weren't, they weren't sure what it was. Jesus tells them what it was in the next verse. It's a voice. Jesus answered and said, This voice did not come because of me, but for your sake. It's the voice of God speaking. Maybe some of them didn't understand it. Some of them didn't know exactly what it was. So Jesus clarifies it. This voice didn't become because of me, but it's for your sake. This voice you heard, yes, does confirm my ministry. It does confirm what I am about to do. What's happening this week coming up. Because you will benefit from this. It's for your sake that I do this. And the Father is confirming this in me and through me. So on the cross, we know that Jesus would defeat the enemy. It says in verse 31, Now is the judgment of the world. Now the ruler of this world is cast out. And we know as we look in the book of Revelation, that yes, the enemy is eventually cast out, right? But we're speaking in the here and now and what takes place when Jesus dies on the cross and is resurrected. How's the enemy cast out in that? Because of the sin of the world is being judged, the prince of this world, Satan, is being cast out because God is providing salvation for all those that would believe, right? And once we reach that point, we are saved and we believed. Satan is not a problem anymore, really. He's still out there like a roaring lion. And he wants to bite your head off, right? But we have victory in Christ in that. And Satan has no power over us when we're in Christ, when we have victory over him through what Christ did. When we sin, we give Satan a handle, if you will, to grab onto. We know that he's the accuser of the brethren, pointing out our sin to God. It's all he has on us. But the good news of the gospel is that the blood of Jesus Christ upon the cross, which he will soon face, cleanses us from all sin. Satan doesn't have anything to grab onto. He doesn't have a handle anymore because that's been taken care of on the cross. 1 John chapter 1, verse 7 says, But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. Now notice the text doesn't say some sin. It's all sin. He cleanses us from all sin. Therefore, because Satan, he doesn't have a handle, a toe grip, a no grip on him, he's inevitably cast out because of the finished work uh, that Jesus did. So then Jesus says, uh, but as for me in verse 32, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. So we have here another 
cross-reference. We know what cross-references are when we read something and we can reference it to something else. Well, Jesus is giving that here as He talks about the cross. A cross-reference, this term, lifted up. It's like, whoa, whoa, where have we heard that before? Lifted up. Verse 33 says this, He said, signifying but what, by what death He would die. Well, we know what that is, right? We know it's crucifixion. At this time, in the audience that He's speaking to, didn't necessarily get that. Crucifixion was a way that uh, criminals and, and those that had broken the law were put to death in that day. Very cruel form of punishment, we know that. So it's not, crucifixion is a term that they're familiar with, but the Messiah, the Son of God, the Son of Man, making this statement, if I be lifted up, would be confusing to them. So we've seen this before, this lifted up phrase, so that others might be saved. Jesus is giving them, He's giving us this cross-reference, this lifted up. As Jesus comes closer and closer to the cross, He's going to give more and more of these cross-references. John 3.14, you might remember that almost a year ago now that we were in John chapter 3, but as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man should be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. Now what's that all about? What's, what's going on there? As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man be lifted up. Well, who's saying this? This is Jesus saying this. If you have a red letter Bible, you've turned to that. It's red letter. So we know that this is something that Jesus said, and it's in reference to something Moses did in the Old Testament that we can learn from. It's another cross-reference. It says, whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. He's making reference to that, so it's something that should be important to us. Turn, if you will, to the book of Numbers. Numbers chapter 21. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Back at the beginning. And Numbers chapter 21. So we're going to see Moses babysitting the Israelites in the wilderness. <laughs> it was like some ways you could picture it as being the largest daycare ever, you know, because he was dealing with these kids, these whiners, these complainers, right? So unlike us, <laughs> right? We never whine and complain about anything, right? So starting with verse 5 in chapter 21, we see right away, and the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and our soul loathes this worthless bread. So the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and many of the people uh, of Israel died. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that He take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and it shall be that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent, put it on a pole, and so it was, if a serpent had bitten anyone, 
when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. Interesting picture for us, isn't it? An interesting picture that Christ himself references uh, earlier in the book of John. So we see the anger and the impatience in the hearts of the Israelites as they begin to speak against God and Moses. The same old whining, right? It's like Moses had to be getting so tired of this. How many times do I have to hear, why did you take us out of Egypt, out in the wilderness to die? You know, Even though God had been providing for them in miraculous ways, when they grew tired of that provision, grew weary of that same provision over and over again, again they began to complain and whine, didn't they? Again, I'm just so glad we're not like that. They're saying we're fed up with no water and no food except this worthless bread, this manna. We've done everything we can with it. And we grow tired of it. We've made manna nut bread. We've made manna cotti. We've we've made manna splits. And still, we grow tired of it. We've, We've been as creative as we can and we're tired of this manna. They're complaining about God's provision of the bread that gave them life. Which is also a picture of Jesus Christ. John chapter 6, verse 48. He says, I am the bread of life. One of the I am statements. He says, your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. That's encouraging. (laughs) This is the bread which comes down from heaven that one may eat of it and not die. Speaking of Himself. That picture for us, God's provision in the wilderness of this miraculous bread, the bread of life for them, for they had something to eat. And Jesus is saying, I am the bread of life. So they complained about God's provision. Do you ever do that? Do you ever complain or whine about God's provision? You can shake your head yes. I do too. I do as well. God provides what you need, what I need, but it's not necessarily always what we want, is it? So we whine and complain. <laughs> we already have an agenda in our mind. We already have it figured out what it is that we need. God, we just need you to meet the need. I don't know if you're aware of my situation, God, but here's what it is, and I need you to meet this need that I have. And here's the way that you shouldn't meet it. You know, I'm going to make your job real easy for you, Lord. Just meet it in this way. Hey, it takes all the pressure off you, Lord. You just, you know, you give it to me. We're ready to go. (laughs) God just doesn't work that way, does He? Because He wants us to be in a place of what? Dependency upon Him. And He doesn't always give it to us in our time. We've noticed that, right? We pray. Those three answers to prayer. Yes, no, and what? Wait. I hate wait. You guys, you're with me on that, right? We don't like to wait. Partly because we know in waiting, the answer is going to come, and it could still be what? No. Come on, Lord, work with me here. I've already told you I've got this all figured out. All you got to do is submit to me, Lord. Because <laughs> that's what we're saying, isn't it? Lord, submit to my will. No, it doesn't work that way. You know that if you've been around Calvary Chapel for any length of time, Pastor Chuck Smith, who started Calvary Chapel years ago, had this saying, where God guides, God provides. 
So if we're in a place that we're submitted to the will of the Father and being guided by the Father, then we can certainly have the confidence He's going to provide for it, right? He's leading us that way. He's not leading us out there to just to go, oh, sorry, just messing with you. No, He leads us in that direction. And as He leads us in that direction, He already has the provision in place for us, whatever that is. Again, it's according to His will, the provision, but yet He's already provided for it. I just look at this small fellowship. We, I could give you testimony after testimony over the past year how God has provided just in such a miraculous way. I mean, I'm, I'm a knucklehead. I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> but God is working through it and in it in spite of me, in spite of all of us, because He's guiding it. We don't have to be, get gripped about, oh no, I don't know what God's going to do You know, a month down the road. We don't have to worry about that. If we're in a place, we're submitted to the Lord, and He is guiding us, He's going to provide for it in the perfect way that it needs to be provided for, for whatever His purposes are, and certainly for the work that He wants to do in us. So where God guides, God provides. We can rest in that. So the Lord sent these fiery serpents, these poisonous snakes, because the people of Israel, they had rejected God's gift of life and health. They were rejecting the manna. We don't want manna anymore. We want, we want something else. It's not meeting our needs anymore. Lord, do you see my needs? I have needs, Lord. And it's not meeting my needs anymore. I need something else. Something better. Something that I want, Lord. And in that, in their whining and their complaining, what are they really rejecting? They're rejecting God Himself in that. Because He's the one that provided. He was the provider. The manna was just the provision, right? But He was the provider of it. And so why, by whining and complaining, they're, they're rejecting God Himself. So the snakes, they bite the people. Many of them died. And they come to Moses and they say, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. They recognized their sin. I find that interesting as well, because we go through that, don't we? We go through a time and we could be involved in this sin or that sin, but God has given us His Holy Spirit as a helper, God's Word tells us, but also as a counselor but also is one who corrects and rebukes and convicts. So we sin. We get convicted in our sin. We come to the Lord and we say, Lord, we, we have sinned. That admission of guilt in our lives because we have fallen short of God's righteous requirement. The mark. We've missed the mark, haven't we? We're not perfect. Anyone here perfect? If you are, I'd like to talk to you after the service because we may want you to do a seminar or a conference on being perfect. <laughs> and I think that if you thought about it and you said, I'm perfect, in that you've just sinned, so it kind of wipes the whole perfect thing out. So we're all level ground at the cross, right? We're all in the same place. So we have sinned against you, Lord, and against you alone. But... They say to Moses, pray to the Lord to take away these serpents from among us. They didn't want to be bitten anymore, did they? I, I understand that. Uh, a few years back when we uh, took a mission trip down to Costa Rica, 
one of the guys that who, who was just scared of snakes. And I know that's a lot of people. You just don't, I don't think any of us just like snakes. Um, well, maybe some of you do, but that's kind of weird, you know. <laughs> so there's these, one of the guys that was going with us on the trip said, are there snakes down there? And I said, there's two kinds of snakes down there. You can take comfort in this. There's big ones and like really big ones. So, you know, be comforted in that alone. Yes, there were snakes down there. None of us like snakes. These people wanted the snakes done away with. They didn't want them around anymore. They saw the error of their ways that they had sinned before the Lord. And the snakes were what? They were a consequence of their sin. Now that's probably something else that we're all very familiar with because as we sin, we know that there are consequences. God is not going to let sin go unpunished. Something is going to result from that. You ever, you ever uh, started a rumor about someone? Isn't it interesting how it seems to always come back and slap you in the face when you start, start a rumor about someone? Or you lie, and the lie is found out that it's, that it's not truth, it's a lie. Scripture says your sin will what? It will find you out. So they have sinned before the Lord. But Moses prayed for the people, and the Lord told Moses to make this fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And anyone who is bitten, when they look upon this bronze serpent lifted up on the pole, they lived. The Lord gives to them the consequences for their sin, these fiery serpents, but the Lord also provides a way out, a way to be saved, delivered, and healed from the bite of sin from these serpents. Does all of this sound familiar? It should sound very familiar to us, shouldn't it? This Old Testament reference of raising the serpent up on a pole, and they were to look upon that serpent to be saved. And if they didn't, they were not. Pretty straightforward. So Jesus used this bronze serpent to illustrate His own death on the cross. The comparisons between this bronze serpent in Moses' day and the cross of Christ help us to better understand the meaning of God's grace and salvation. Because all people, all people from the beginning of time till the end of time are infected with this thing called sin. And each one will one day die and face judgment. But if they look by faith to Christ and His sacrifice upon the cross, His lifting up on the cross, He will save them and give them eternal life. Looking to this bronze serpent saved people from physical death. But looking to Christ saves us from eternal death. There are some comparisons for us in that uh, passage. Moses didn't hide the bronze serpent. He lifted it up on a pole where everyone could, could see it. Jesus Himself was crucified, what? Publicly. Outside the city of Jerusalem, high on a hill. Lifted up where everyone could see. Moses didn't stick the pole inside the tabernacle because nobody's saved by, the, by keeping the law, right? The law does not save us. The bronze serpent lifted up was the only cure for the people, just as Jesus Christ is the only Savior for sinners. No one could look at the bronze serpent for another person. Each dying person had to look for themselves, right? 
They had to look upon that pole. Salvation Christ offers us, it's personal, it's individual. Each of us must look to Christ in faith ourselves. The only salvation available to those bitten was what God had so graciously provided. God's provision in that. If you rejected it, you died. He says again in verse 32 in our text, I am lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. Drawn to himself on the cross to be looked upon. The Israelites had to look upon, they had to see this bronze serpent lifted up as God's provision for them to be healed. Jesus draws all people to himself, lifted up on the cross, not just as a religious symbol. Because for so many people, that's what it is, isn't it? It's a piece of metal or a piece of wood that represents nothing else to them other than a religious symbol, a symbol of being religious. How many people have you seen that have a cross necklace but you're quite sure as you get to know them, they don't have any idea who Jesus Christ is. It's just a religious symbol for them to wear. It's so much more. It's life-saving. Jesus draws all people to Himself, lifted up on the cross. It means so much more. It has so much deeper meaning. Seeing Jesus on that cross and what He did for each one of us. We are to look upon Him, to see Him for who He is and what He has done. God's provision for sin, sin that every one of us have been bitten by. Now I'm sure that the word spread quickly in the camp with the Israelites, don't you? I don't know what the effects were of getting bitten by one of these fiery serpents. We know ultimately it was death. But did they swell up? Was it this aggravating, burning sensation or whatever was going on? But certainly, if there was something that was provided that would get them out of their situation, word would spread quickly about that, right? Why? That would be good news. It would be good news. I've been bitten by this snake and I'm going to die. However, there are people going around the camp telling us that if we go look upon this pole... We won't die. We'll be saved. That's good news. It's not just good news. It's great news. It's like the ultimate news when you're about to die, right? Hey, we can go and look upon this pole and we will be saved. Come quickly. Look at God's provision. Lift it up on a pole so you can be saved. Hurry. Look upon it. As, as I was writing that note, I couldn't help but to think this week of Peyton Manning Standing under center or back a little ways, going what? Hurry, hurry! You know, you heard him say that last year a lot. The same would be true of something that we should be saying. As believers, as sad as it is, no one is promised tomorrow, are they? No one knows. Anything can happen in our lives when we find ourselves in a situation where we're facing death. As the Israelites would go around the camp saying, hurry, hurry, you've been bitten, you need to look upon this pole. So as we as believers should be doing that on a regular basis as well. Encouraging others in where they are, not having a relationship with Jesus Christ. Hurry, hurry, quickly. Don't waste time. 
Today is the day of salvation, Scripture says. Hurry, look upon it. Have the faith that it can save you. The Israelites, when they looked upon this bronze serpent on the pole, they had to act in faith, didn't they? They had to believe that looking upon it was going to heal them from this snake bite. In the same way, we have to have that faith, looking upon the cross, knowing the sacrifice that was made for us, each one of us, through the blood of Jesus Christ, having faith that it will save us. God says it will in His Word. We're going to trust His Word. We're just going to trust the opinions of others. We're going to trust what the world has to say. I wouldn't. The world has nothing for us, does it? It's got a lot of psychology. It's got a lot of intellect. A lot of things out there that are attractive to our minds. But He wants to draw our hearts, doesn't He? So what about you here this morning? Have you been bitten by sin? Come quickly. Hurry, hurry. And look at God's provision lifted up on the cross so you too can be saved. Look who is upon it. And have the faith that He can save you. Trust in God's provision. Amen?